And again, it's my privilege to introduce our speaker today. And you heard him, many of you heard him this morning, Evangelist Mike Self. And uh, it is a privilege to introduce him and have him come preach to us tonight. You know, it's good for me to sit under preaching and teaching. It's needful. And uh, something special about our speaker tonight, and that is he's an evangelist. And uh, an evangelist preaches the word of God, and a pastor preaches the word of God. It's true. But God gives us differently. There's a different calling to some degree. And uh, while a pastor is to do the work of an evangelist, both the pastor and an evangelist are, uh, are called or commanded, given as a gift by Jesus Christ to his church, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to edify and to build up the body of Christ. And so when an evangelist, a true evangelist, comes and he preaches the word of God to us, it, he, comes, um, he comes and he's a gift from Jesus Christ to us. And he has studied the word of God. And one thing I love about uh, evangelist self's preaching is that it's biblical. Uh, he doesn't, and you might have noticed this, he doesn't just flippantly or casually throw things out. They're thoughtful. He's thought them through. His words are biblical. And I love that. And I hope you love that too. I hope it's something that you value. Uh, many, there are many men who stand behind pulpits, and many people call it preaching, uh, but really it's just blowing a lot of hot air around. There are other men who stand behind a pulpit, and they tell us what God says, and they tell us who God is from his word. That is biblical preaching, and it is something that you and I ought to value and love and long for and consistently put ourselves under. And so I believe that's the kind of preacher that evangelist self is, and I look forward to watching him grow and uh, grow older as the years come along and go as are going with me. So you come preach to us, sir, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing the word of God. Thank you, Pastor. I really appreciate those kind words. Um, that is our authority in the church, is the Bible. So if, if something I say disagrees with the Bible, then please feel free to toss it out. If what I say is biblical, even if I'm 50 years younger than you, then you ought to listen to it. Amen? My dad used to tell me that, and it would drive me crazy, because I had four younger brothers, and uh, he said, Micah, even if your five-year-old brother tells you to do something, if it's the right thing, then you need to listen. And uh, that was not easy for the oldest of five, five boys to take, but he was right, because it's about truth. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this, uh, this afternoon... To, I'm still waking up from my nap. Did anybody else get a nap this afternoon? It was amazing. I think God invented naps. Okay, uh, James chapter number 3. I love this book, but it's also a very convicting book. When you look at the things he's talking about, he is basically writing an entire book to people who think they're better than they are. And the whole book of James is more or less written to the Sunday and Wednesday night crowd, if you will. Not that the Sunday morning crowd doesn't need it, but this is written to the people who are so committed to church, and yet there's still something awry, there's still something amiss. And uh, one of the things that God is constantly convicting me of is that I still need to grow. I thought when I got out of Bible college that eventually 
I would hit that point where I'm kind of like, okay, I got it all together. It's all good. Now I'm like Jesus and I don't have any more to learn. And it's like once I hit one level of Christianity, God's like, good job, you made it. Now here's the next one. I'm like, are you serious? And until the day we die, it seems biblically that we are going to be continually worked on and conformed and molded the potter and the clay until we get to heaven and, and we're set just right. And so I hope that, that you continually hunger after the Word of God. Because as I was referring to this morning, sometimes God disciplines or chastens His children. And, and nobody likes discipline. Nobody likes being chastened. Nobody likes a timeout or a spanking. Right, kids? They're like, this, I actually had four of them going, you're right, nobody likes that. Nobody likes the punishment, but if you look at Hebrews 12, the reason God does it is that it would yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God doesn't punish us just because He's in a bad mood or He's angry. God, God chastens because He wants us to have more peace in our lives. He wants us to have more righteousness in our lives. Even when God was doing some of the harsh judgments in the Old Testament... He would often say, I, I have judged you and I have, I have chastened you and you still won't come back to me. Oftentimes the grievous judgments of the Old Testament by God against sin were so Israel would turn back to God and he could forgive them and heal them. And this chapter right here is one that I'm not sure anyone that I know has mastered. Certainly not myself. So I, I don't preach this, this chapter tonight as someone who has this down, and I never mistake this, but as, as something that I'm aware of. Because if you're not aware of a problem, you can't fix it, right? And so what I'm hoping to do is make you aware of an issue that you may have in your life, like most of us do. That way the Holy Spirit can begin to grow you in this area. And so what we see in James chapter number 3 is a whole chapter of the Bible dedicated to our speech. A whole chapter, just to the things we say. And so what I, what I want to ask you to do is, is uh, read responsively. So I'm going to read verse 1, and you all read verse 2. I'll read verse 3, you read verse 4, and we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter, because this is all one thought. So I'll start in verse 1. And you guys will read the even numbers together. My brethren, be not many masters or leaders, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. 
Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. I just want to look quickly at three comparisons James makes to our tongue or our speech, and then finally, the way that we can overcome the weakness of our own speech. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the Bible. If we simply followed the Bible, this world would be heaven on earth. Our homes would be heaven on earth. And so, Lord, help us to submit ourselves to your word this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The first thing I want us to realize is that your tongue is like a fire. Look again at verse number 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. What James is addressing here is the discord of the church, the discord of the family, the discord amongst believers. And he's saying in in verse number one, don't seek to be a teacher. Don't seek to elevate yourself because that was one of the pride issues that they had. Everybody thought, I am very religious. And he says, no, pure religion is the fatherless and the widows. No, Pure religion is love for everyone, not just the rich in chapter 2. Pure religion is love also for the poor. In chapter 3, he's saying, you all want to be teachers. You all want to be known as knowledgeable. You all want to speak lots of words to instruct other people, but you have to get this right first. And don't seek to be a leader in the church because you will face greater judgment before God. Now, how is our tongue like a fire? What you say keeps on burning. What you say keeps on burning. I grew up in Colorado, and we always had forest fires. There was the dry season, and sometimes acres and acres would burn. I remember when I went to Bible college in California my freshman year, there were so many fires 
that when you would walk outside in the desert, it looked like it was snowing. But it was the ash being blown over the mountains onto our campus. And they would say, don't go outside, don't do any strenuous activity because the air pollution is so bad from fires miles and miles away. And when you think about it, a forest fire doesn't start with all of the trees. It starts with some brush. And it spreads to some bushes. It spreads to some grass and then to one tree. And then all of a sudden, one little spark can set off an entire blaze. There were some young teenagers in Colorado when I was in high school. And they were convicted of uh, recklessness because they were out smoking in the woods. And they flicked their cigarettes And they didn't put them out, and it started a forest fire that actually destroyed people's homes. How great a matter a little fire kindleth. And one word you say, one thing that you say to someone can cause a fire in them that will burn for a long time. Think about it. I'm pretty sure everyone here could think of something that someone has said to you that hurt. I'm not just talking about petty things like someone making fun of your ears, although that happened to me too. I'm not talking about someone making fun of you for being short, although we could probably all remember those words, couldn't we? And I want to ask you, how do you want people to remember you? Well, your words will have a lot to do with that. The words you have towards your children shape how they view you and view God. The words... Amongst children, oftentimes will cause a child to to see themselves in a certain way. And one word from us can start a great fire. I heard of a a youth pastor. I met him when I was in um, Africa. And he said that his first ministry almost ruined his life. He said that he kicked two girls out of the youth group because they were rebellious and they, they weren't under control. And so they were creating just so many issues in the youth group. He said, I don't want you guys to come back. If you want to say you're sorry, if you want to apologize and be a part of the group, but you guys are causing so many problems, you're just, we we can't have you. So these two girls went home and each told their parents that he had treated them inappropriately. And the parents believed them and took the youth pastor to court. It was about 10 years later they confessed that He hadn't done anything wrong, and they made it up. But that man, his ministry for 10 years was ruined. His reputation was ruined because of how a small matter kindled a big fire. You'll notice that in your home as well. Sometimes you wake up and you're not in the best mood, and so instead of walking in the Spirit, you you respond, sometimes sarcastically. You say something that's cutting, and... And sometimes people have the ability to say something very pointedly without saying it. So it's almost like, I got you, but you can't really point out that I got you. Is that love? That's not. And our words can create in people a painful fire that will last for years to come. I know a young man who got in trouble with his father. And his father got so angry that he said, that's it. 
I remove you from under the umbrella of my protection. Now, what we were taught growing up was that your parents were a way to protect you from, from Satan. And if you were removed out from under that umbrella of protection, you were being turned over to Satan for him to destroy your life. And because that young man forgot his trumpet for a trumpet practice, his father in his anger said, that's it. I am removing you out from under the umbrella of my protection. And it broke that young man. Because in one moment of anger, his father essentially said, I am disowning you to the devil. Now, that was not love. And that was not peace. And that was not long-suffering or gentleness or kindness. And because that young man believed what he had been told, he believed that because he forgot his trumpet and in his father's anger, he cursed him that his life was going to be ruined. How important are our words? Would you look with me at Matthew chapter number 12? In Matthew chapter number 12, we see that the Pharisees have just accused Jesus of healing people and casting out demons by the power of Satan. They said, you cast out evil spirits by the power of evil spirits. And Jesus is explaining to them that they're wrong and that if they speak a word against him, it will be forgiven them, but furthermore, Jesus is going to get to their heart because the Pharisees appeared righteous on the outside. They knew, they knew the first five books of the Old Testament by memory. They wore special clothing. They observed the law. They did everything they could to avoid sin, and yet their problem wasn't their external actions, but their inward attitude. And look at what Jesus says to these Pharisees in verse number 33 of Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, look at this, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. There is no such thing as A meaningless word. If you know what you are about to say is going to wound a person, then don't say it. Some people are naturally sarcastic, and that's their humor. And that's not a wrong thing. Some people feel loved by sarcasm, right? Two sarcastic people go back and forth. You're an idiot. Yeah, well, you're a bigger idiot. And they both like, oh, I like you. We're both idiots and we're sarcastic. That's how some people are. But if you know that sarcasm will wound somebody then in love, don't say it. If you know that pointing this out, or this critique, or this word is going to wound that person, then don't say it, because your words are like a fire. 
What you say could start something on the inside of that person and then all of a sudden you add another word and another word and another word and if they don't forgive, you are building a fire in them and then all of a sudden there's the explosion, right? There's the explosion. Or there's the children that never say anything and they leave home and then the parents find out all that was really on the inside. Because for that kid's whole life, the mom and dad, through lack of love and lack of biblical nurturing, were stoking a fire. Now, the kid always has a responsibility to obey, and the child always has a responsibility to respect his parents. But oftentimes, young people have parents whose words, whose words do not line up with their Christianity, and the children do not see the reality of their faith because of how the parents talk. The gossip all the way home from church about everybody in the church the criticism of everybody else, the pride that comes out of the Father's mouth, the anger, the dishonesty, the constant bragging, all of that stokes a fire in people's lives. And the Bible says that your tongue is like a fire. The next thing is this, your tongue is more wild than a beast. Go back to James chapter number 3. In verse number 7, it says, For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, when I teach this to children, I share this point. The point of the verse is, I can't control my tongue. That's what it's saying. If you've ever been to SeaWorld or even heard of Shamu the whale, it's amazing. A killer whale is doing flips in the air for one dead fish. My dad took me to one circus as a kid and they got a lion to jump through a hoop that was on fire. And I was like, if I was the lion, I'd just eat the guy. (laughs) We, We get dolphins to to let people ride them. And, and these cre- horses, horses are massive, strong animals. If I was a horse and some guy jumped on my back, I would kick him to death. But we have the ability to tame animals, even poisonous snakes. You see people with, with pets that are poisonous snakes and they're letting them rub their faces. And I'm like, that's just wrong on too many levels. But we have the ability to tame all kinds of wild beasts that you never would imagine. I I know a guy in in Florida who took a a crocodile to his house and raised it. How's that for a guard dog, right? And we have the ability to tame all of these wild creatures. And yet, with our words, we constantly bicker and fight and brag and gossip and exaggerate, we can't control our tongue. We can control all kinds of things, and yet, when we're having a bad day, even if it's not that person's fault, who gets the short end of this stick? They actually put a new word in the dictionary a few years ago called hangry. I think most people suffer from it. It's when you're so hungry that you're angry. 
So they just combined it. Don't talk to me. I'm hangry. You've seen those pictures of coffee, right? Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. Now that's funny, but coffee doesn't induce the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So whether or not you have coffee in the morning, you're still responsible to let the Holy Spirit control your tongue. Whether or not you're hungry, you're still responsible to let the Holy Spirit use your words for peaceableness and gentleness and not cutting and frustration and unkindness. You see, you can't control your tongue. Just like a a ship with sails has no power unless the wind is blowing through it, so we as Christians have no power unless we are letting the Holy Spirit control us. Will you abandon yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Which means dying to yourself. Now, this maybe isn't the best example for, for us as Baptists, but have you ever seen someone lose control to a song? Have you ever seen that? You're driving, pastor says, like, no, I've never seen that. <laughs> have you ever seen somebody driving down the highway and you look over and they're just like going crazy and you're like, what is wrong with that guy? Or you go to a sports game and, and the rock song comes on and all of a sudden that one weirdo is just losing it and going crazy. And he's just given himself over to the music. He's just given his, his whole body, just all control over to the music and he's going and he's dancing and he's, he's flailing. Now we're, we're not supposed to give ourselves to the music, but we as Christians are supposed to abandon ourselves to the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. That's what it means to be filled by the Spirit. That person, when they're, when they're going crazy to that music in the car next to you, and they're dancing and they're singing, they don't care what you think. Because it's all about the music. And you'll see bumper stickers with that, right? It's all about the music. And we as Christians are supposed to be all about being filled with the Spirit of God. And the evidence of that filling is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Not sarcasm, not gossip, not criticism, not complaining. I'm getting convicted now by my own sermon. I was complaining pretty bad this last week. But you, uh, you can't control your tongue because it's like It's like a wild beast. And the only way to tame it is to give it over to the Spirit of God. I remember when I was younger, uh, I didn't didn't hit my growth spurt until I was almost 16. As a 15-year-old boy, I could sing soprano in the choir. Talk about humiliation. And one day, there was this, this girl, and she was kind of mouthy, and she was making fun of my friend for being short. And of course, I was even shorter than my friend. So I went up to her, and I said, Hey, you can't talk to my friend like that. And she said, what are you going to do about it? Shrimp. And when I looked at her, I noticed that she had a little fuzz right here. And I said, you know what? You kind of need to shave. And before I knew it, she slapped my face. Pow! And my friend was like, dude, she slapped you. And I was like, yeah, I know. He said, you have a handprint on your face. So I went in the restroom and I looked in the mirror and there was a red imprint of her hand on my cheek. 
Now, did she deserve that? Yes. But should I have said it? No. But because I was being controlled more by my insecurities than by the love of God, I couldn't control my tongue. And this leads us to the final point. Your tongue is like a fountain. Look at verses 9 and 10. James 3, verses 9 and 10. Therewith, or with the tongue, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Verse number 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? And the answer is no. If you go to a natural spring, it's either salty or it's fresh. But you don't have half and half. And the point of this is what is on the inside will come out. What is on the inside will come out. If I was to take this water bottle over here, and I was to put dirt in it, and, and, and spit in it, and put some trash in it, and then pour it in the cup, and say, here, you can drink this, and you were to think, oh yeah, it's okay, because it's not in the bottle anymore. That would be stupid, right? Because what's on the inside is what is going to come out. And the Bible's trying to say that you may think you're a very, very good person, but if your tongue is full of complaining and bitterness and anger and gossip, it doesn't matter how good you look on the inside because you have a problem in here. If your heart is full of anger, that's what's going to come out. If your heart is full of jealousy, you're going to gossip about people and cut them down because that's what's on the inside. Let's look at what he says about that in verses 16 and 17. James writes, For where envying, jealousy, and strife is, or friction, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Now that word pure isn't just talking about moral purity. It's talking about your intentions, your motivations. Your speech is, is done and your, your good works are done out of pure motives. You don't do the right things in church to gain attention. You don't do the right things to lift yourself up. When Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, He wasn't talking about moral purity there. He was talking about the purity of your intentionality, your motives. What are your motives behind what you do? The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Gentle, easy to be entreated. That means you're not arguing. You're, you're easy to talk to. You're easy to disagree with because you're willing to discuss. And you're, you're amiable. That's easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits. You're quick to forgive. You don't have to jump on people over every little mistake. Without partiality. That means you, you're not unfair in your treatment. Like, okay... You know, we see this mostly amongst high school students, right? There's the one kid who it's always okay to pick on. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody can pick on that kid. Everybody can mistreat that kid. But this kid, because he's cool, nobody's going to talk bad about him. That's partiality. And if in our churches or in our homes, 
we show partiality. Well, this guy's kind of rich or important, so I'm going to talk really nicely to this guy, but I'm just going to kind of brush away this guy because he's annoying or I don't, I don't think he's as important. That's, that's partiality. That's not love. And the wisdom from God is not partial in the way we treat and speak to people. And then finally, without hypocrisy. You don't talk one way here and talk another way there and, oh, I got to make this person think more of me spiritually, so I'm going to do my spiritual talk and then I want these guys at work to like me, so I'm going to talk this way or, oh, I'm at church, so I'm going to be really nice to my kids, but as soon as we get in the car, I'm going to let my anger out. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I once heard a, a preacher say, I don't like preaching unless it makes me angry. And I thought, I, I don't see that in the Bible. And sometimes we think that, well, I'm a man, so I'm angry and I'm harsh. Jesus, the greatest and strongest man who ever lived, was meek. And if you have to bully your way with your words, and you have to put down people with your words, and you have to brag to feel good about yourself, it means that you're somehow lacking on the inside. If you have to manipulate people with your words, if you have to constantly criticize people to feel good, there's something lacking on the inside. You see, Christianity is not just about an outward appearance. It's about who we are underneath and becoming like God. And who is God? God is love. Now, that's a very interesting phrase because it doesn't say God is loving. Grammatically, in the Greek, And also, in English, it's grammatically incorrect. And you know what? The Apostle says it twice in verse 8 and 16 in 1 John 4 because he meant what he wrote. The Holy Spirit inspired him not to say God is loving, but that God is love. That is his nature. And if we go to church and we hand out tracts, but people do not see in our lives that we are satisfied and we are walking in God's love, the Bible says we are nothing. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and verse number 1. They were facing some big issues in this church. They had fornication. They had dishonesty. They had fighting. They had people suing each other in the church. They had people judging one another. They were puffed up with knowledge. And so the intelligent Jews with knowledge of the scriptures were judging the new Gentile believers and thought they were better because they knew more of the Bible. They were having confusion in the church because they were speaking in tongues and it was utter chaos. And so Paul is trying to fix all of these issues and then he boils it down in chapter 13 to the essence of what they need. He said, don't be jealous if you can't heal. Don't be jealous if you can't speak in tongues. Don't be jealous if you don't have the ability to prophesy. Because in verse 31 of chapter 12, he says, I show unto you a more excellent way. Paul is saying, for the unity of the church, even more important than the sign of tongues and the sign of miracles and the ability to preach or prophesy, even more important than those things for unity in your church and in your life, I show it to you a more excellent way, and that leads right into chapter 13 and verse number 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, though I'm an eloquent speaker, and have not charity or love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. What does that mean? We could go into the historical meaning and I could dissect all that, but I think the point is this. It's senseless noise. 
You can witness the guys at work, but if you're always complaining and criticizing, you know what they hear? Blah, 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 blah. You can sit your kids down. Time for devotions. Respect me. Blah, 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 blah. For me, I can struggle with complaining. If I'm a complainer, I'm always whining. People don't see the joy and the peace of God in me. And if I try and tell them, here's how God is working in my life, all they hear is blah, 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 blah. And it all starts with the inside because your tongue is like a fountain. What's on the inside will come out. So how are we to solve this issue? I don't, I don't know. I, I think each one of us probably has a more a unique circumstance. Maybe yours is gossip. Maybe yours is complaining. Maybe yours is angry words. Maybe yours is exaggeration. You always have to one-up somebody else's stories. Maybe yours is cutting. I don't know. But if the Holy Spirit reveals to you any way or area of your life where you are not controlling your words, the only way to have victory is to abandon yourself to the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because we saw, it says, the tongue can no man tame. If you are an argumentative person, constantly correcting people to show your knowledge, you're argumentative and you just like to argue for the sake of arguing. My dad used to tell one of my brothers, you need to be a lawyer when you grow up because you're going to win the argument even if you know you're wrong. Our tongues, our tongues reveal what is on the inside. And sometimes I say things that shock myself. Have you ever done that? Has something ever come out of your mouth and you're like, whoa, why did I say that? Why did I say it like that? Why, why did that come out? And oftentimes what we do is we just clip the fruit. Oh, sorry, I said that. Okay, let's move on. But what James is trying to get us to do is to look into the root. Why are those words coming out? I was recently talking with a man in southern Florida. I was staying at his house for a missions conference, and he was talking to me, and he said, you know, Micah, for years I was focused on the outside and wanting to look good. I'm an engineer, and I wanted people to like me, think I was smart. And sometimes I would say things to my wife, and I just I didn't know where they were coming from. He said, and one day I said something, and I said, honey, I'm sorry that I said that. I said, we need to talk about it because I was wrong. But before we talk about it, I'm going to go to a, lo- a room alone and I'm going to figure out where that's coming from. And he went to a, ro- a room and he got on his knees and he said, God, why is this coming out of me? Oftentimes our words are an indication of something deeper. And only the Holy Spirit of God can reveal that to us. If this evening you know that you are not always using your tongue and your speech for godly purposes, would you be willing tonight to confess your sin to God and to ask God to reveal to you, God, why do I have this weakness? Holy Spirit, how can you help me to change? Because by our words, we will be justified and by our words, we will be condemned. And I want people when they think of me, not, not to glory in me, but when people think of Micah's self, I want them to remember that I use my words 
to bless them. The book of Proverbs says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. I can remember a time in my life, and this is the last illustration I'm done tonight, the last time in my life when I went to college and I was so discouraged. I had a, a difficult summer. I came back to college and I didn't have as many friends as I would have liked to have. I was feeling very lonely. I, I don't know why I was so discouraged now. I just, I don't remember all the details, but I just remember feeling very down, thinking I'm, I'm so alone. I'm trying my best to work. I don't, I don't have time to socialize. I'm just working in school, working in school. And out of nowhere... I don't even know why he was near the dorms, but one of my professors came up to me and he just said, Hey, Micah, I just want you to know that you have a good reputation on this campus. You have a lot of potential, and I'm proud of you. And he walked off. And that simple word gave me the healing that I needed to finish that semester. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Let's not just keep apologizing over and over again for the words that keep wounding people and that keep building a fire around us. Let's get to God and say, Holy Spirit, what is it in me that is causing my tongue to be used in this way? And how do you want me to change? Peace, love, joy, long-suffering. Let's pray.